welcome to Menopause in the Kitchen, where we talk all things food and nutrition for women in their midlife years. I'm Rachel Cooper, dietitian and food lover, with a passion for sharing information about nutrition in practical ways, so that you can take what you need and implement it into your lifestyle. Join me in my kitchen as I share bite-sized chunks of information to help you nourish your body and thrive in your midlife years and beyond. Welcome back to Menopause in the Kitchen. Um, It's been a while for those of you who have been listening regularly to my podcast episodes. I've had a little bit of a break, um, just a lot going on at the moment, and it's um, been difficult to find the time to sit down and record podcasts. Um, But uh, I had some time today and I thought, let's let's get an episode out there for all of you who are enjoying these episodes, um, and I promise that in the coming months they will come out more regularly. Um, I just have, yeah, like I said, a lot happening, and um, I don't really prescribe to hustle culture, and uh, I certainly am not interested in, um, you know, working all hours of the night and weekends and so on to try to get these things done. I'm doing what I can right now. And sometimes that means that certain things get put on the back burner and this podcast has been one of them. But I do love recording these for you. And I'm really pleased to be back today recording um, another episode. And today's episode is going to be all about IBS or irritable bowel syndrome. And um, we're going to talk a bit about what it is and how, you know, how it's diagnosed and how you might know whether you have it or not, um, how we treat it. Um, but I'd also really like to talk about, um, you know, what what is the link between menopause and IBS? Because I do hear from a lot of women who say that their symptoms are worse once they sort of reach menopause and maybe it starts during perimenopause when the hormones are all over the place. So I had a look into what the research was around that. So I'm going to talk a bit about what the current research says um, and, you know, what that link might be. Um, And then we'll talk a little bit about what if you do have IBS, what can you do about it? What are what are your options? So that's what I plan to talk about today. I hope that it's helpful for um, many of you. I know, like I said, that I hear from a lot of women about um, their issues with menopause with um, IBS. Sorry, and it might be something that you've been struggling with for a long time, not necessarily just around um, menopause, but you know, for for many women, it is um, a time where it maybe becomes worse and that can be really worrying. So let's dive in, shall we, and talk about, first of all, what is IBS? Now, if you already have it, you may have a bit of an idea. But if you're listening and thinking, um, no, I don't know much about this, um, IBS is uh, stands for Irritable Bowel Syndrome. Okay, so it's a syndrome. It's it has a, a range of different um, symptoms um, that people um, might experience, and most commonly, those symptoms are abdominal pain, bloating, diarrhea, 
constipation. It may be all of those at different varying times. It may be just some of those that you experience, or like I said, it might just vary. Um, Over time, you might have more of an issue with constipation sometimes, but other times it might be more diarrhea or, you know, it can fluctuate between the two even day to day. So they're the common symptoms um, of IBS. The issue is um, that those symptoms can be related to many other things. So it's really important that if you do experience these symptoms, if you've been experiencing, experiencing them for some time and never really went and got it checked out, really good idea that you do. If they're new symptoms, um, you know, it's really important that you don't self-diagnose IBS because those symptoms can be due to some more serious issues like inflammatory bowel disease. So that includes Crohn's disease or colitis. Um, It may also be due to an infection. Um, It may be celiac disease. Um, It may be cancer. So there are other things that can cause these symptoms um, that are a lot more serious and really need to be addressed. So it's really important that you do go and check with your doctor and get a proper diagnosis. And the way that IBS is diagnosed is by eliminating all those other things that I just mentioned. So um, basically having tests, um, it might be, you know, a colonoscopy, it might be some um, blood tests, you might have a biopsy or whatever. Um, and once all of those are ruled out and the doctor says, no, you don't have any of those more serious issues, but you're clearly having these symptoms, they then put it down to irritable bowel syndrome. So it's really important that you get a proper diagnosis and you're not just saying, oh, I must have IBS because there might be something a little more serious going on. And it's really important that you get that checked. So if you are diagnosed though with IBS, um, you know, that that will come from a process of elimination and then you may be at a point where you think, right, great, it's not all those more serious things. What do I do about it? How am I managing this? And IBS symptoms can be really debilitating. Although I'm saying those other dis- diseases are more serious, um, IBS is not um, necessarily serious in that it can, you know, um, really affect your your health, but it can affect your quality of life. If you have constant bloating and tummy pain, if you're running to the toilet um, or constipated, those sorts of things can really affect the way you live your day-to-day life. And I have certainly had clients in the past who are scared to leave their house because they don't know where the nearest toilet is going to be, particularly if, say, they've got diarrhea as an issue, um, they don't want to leave their house. So socially, it's really affecting their life. Um, And then others who are in so much pain and so uncomfortable that it's affecting their day-to-day life as well. So although these, these symptoms and IBS is not, it's not serious, it certainly does affect your quality of life and can be really, really debilitating. So for many people, they are desperate to find a way to help control these symptoms. Now, many, many years ago, and I have been a dietitian for a long time, um, you know, doctors used to just say, well, you've got IBS, you're just going to have to live with it. Sorry. 
Um, and, you know, so many people who may have been diagnosed quite a number of years ago might have been told that and think that that's it. I just have to live with this. Um, I, there's, there's no other way. There's nothing that's going to make my symptoms better. We now know a lot more about IBS and what can help in the treatment. Um, It's not necessarily going to take your IBS away, but it's all about managing those symptoms and trying to reduce the symptoms so that you can live without, you know, the pain or the the issues of um, diarrhea and constipation. So um, what sort of treatment options are there? What can you do? Um, now one of them and one of the most common places that particularly as a dietitian, we often start with is a low FODMAP diet. Now I'm going to talk about that in a little bit more detail in a moment, but, um, it's, there's certainly some good research out there that many people with IBS have, um, an issue with certain foods that can trigger the symptoms that they're experiencing. And by reducing those foods, um, they can get symptom relief. So I'll, like I said, talk about that more in a moment, but that is certainly one option. It doesn't work for everyone. And there are also some other issues that could be triggering um, uh, FODMAP, uh, sorry, uh, IBS symptoms that we also need to look at. Um, it's not always just dietary and sometimes it, it, it can also be due to, to due to stress and anxiety and more psychological issues. And again, I'll, I will speak about that a little bit more um, further on in the episode. Um, but, you know, there are some treatment options. There certainly are some medications. In, in certain, certain cases, people may need to take medications, maybe not all the time, but at certain times. Um, or there, there also are, are some herbal treatments um, like peppermint oil, for example, that some people can find um, helpful um, for their symptom relief. But in terms of diet, I'm going to focus mostly on that because I'm a dietitian and that's that's sort of um, my area of expertise. But before I jump into the low FODMAP diet, what it is and how it works, um, I wanted to have a quick chat about menopause and IBS and what what is the link there? Um, and so looking at the research, there is some research that's been looking at comparing premenopausal women to postmenopausal women who have IBS and looking at their comparing their symptoms. Um, and one particular um, study that I looked at that um, you know had quite good numbers of participants um, also included men. So they looked at the difference between men and women um, and also younger men versus older men to see whether some of these changes are age related or whether they might be due to other things like hormones. So one thing that we do know is IBS is more common in women. Why that is, I don't know. Could it be hormonal? Could it be related to other things? Uh, you know, we don't quite know, but we do know that it is more common in women. Um, and th- there's there's limited data out there, but there is some studies that show that 
the menstrual cycle affects symptoms. So women might have more severe sort of GI symptoms or looser stools at certain um, times during their menstrual cycle. So there's there's certainly that possible link between the the hormones, because we know even if we're menstruating that our hormones are kind of going up and down during that cycle, that at certain times during that cycle, our GI symptoms might become more of an issue. So there's certainly some studies that are showing that, yes, there might be something going on there, but it is really limited. We don't know too much. One thing we also know um, is that estrogen and progesterone, those two main sort of female hormones, do have an effect on the GI tract. There are um, estrogen receptors, for example, in in our GI tract, so in our bowel and so on, and also that it affects that gut-brain axis. So there's a real link between what goes on in our brain and and how we're thinking and feeling and um, what happens in our gut. And the simplest way to explain that is, you know, when you're about to go and do something, so say you're about to get on stage and perform or you're going out to compete in a race or something like that and you get those butterflies in your stomach and you, you know, and and, and often some people might have to go to the toilet and empty their bowels, um, you know, because of that sort of nervous energy. So that's just a really um, you know, easy example to show how how you're feeling and what you're thinking and what's going on up in your brain um, is affecting directly your bowel and what your bowel's doing. And we we will talk about that more later when we talk about you know other issues that can increase IBS symptoms. So we do know that there there is an effect that the estrogen has an effect on those things, but it's just not really well understood at this point. Um, so what do they find in terms of menopause, um, and, and IBS? What we do know is that postmenopausal women do tend to report, not everyone, but there is a, a, an increase in the severity of their symptoms, um, compared to premenopausal. So, women do find that the severity of their symptoms can be worse once they reach menopause. Um, and what what they did in one of the studies that I looked at is they compared that to, to men and found that there actually wasn't any difference in men compared, you know, so younger men versus older men, age, age related, you know, um, so the same age as, as the women, um, there wasn't really any significant difference. But for women, there seemed to be. So clearly there is something going on at that menopausal sort of stage that is affecting um, the severity of the symptoms. And there are a few theories as to what that could be due to. Certainly one is due to, um, could be due to the, the low estrogen and progesterone. So we know that once we reach menopause, those levels really drop off. And that could be affecting then what's going on with the IBS symptoms. The other thing is that it could also be um, increased sort of stress, anxiety and those sorts of things that might happen around that same time um, of a woman's life. So at the moment, we don't know exactly what it could be, but there's these theories that, yes, 
the the hormones, but possibly also lifestyle factors and psychological factors are also having um, having an effect. So we do know that estrogen, for example, um, and progesterone, when they when the levels change, it can slow gastric emptying and it slows down movement through the um, the intestines. So all of those sorts of things may contribute to what's going on with these um, IBS symptoms at that stage. The other thing that I thought I would mention is that there's also been reported um, an increase in constipation in postmenopausal women. So um, the constipation can often become more of an issue um, postmenopausal. And the thing is that was also seen in the men. So men also tend to have increases in constipation um, when they get to those older age, um, that, that you know, it, those sorts of ages, sort of, you know, 50 years plus. So that, that might be age-related. So some of these might be age-related, but others might be due to the actual changes in hormones. But constipation does tend to increase in everyone um, as we age. And that could be, yeah, due to, you know, the slowing down of um, our digestion and our, and our digestive tract, which, you know, as unfortunately with everything, when we age, things do start to slow down and maybe not work as well as they used to. Um, one of the other things they found um, in studies is that for postmenopausal women, when the estrogen and progesterone levels decrease, um, that it was the perception of pain that increased um, during that time. And that might be uh, what actually is causing the increase in IBS symptoms because pain from bloating and things like that um, can be one of the, the symptoms that people um, struggle with, with IBS. And the, the change in hormones can also increase affect the nervous system and the the severity that we feel pain so that could also be related so that's you know there's some really good evidence out there that there's definitely is a link there's something going on the exact reasons and how and why is maybe not as well understood but I, I would say that um, there would be more um, hopefully more studies to come and, and I'm more than happy to update everyone if I do hear more. But, um, but yeah, definitely, you know, it, it is more common. The symptoms become more, more severe um, as women reach those menopausal years. So um, you're not, you know, if you're feeling that and thinking, hang on, my symptoms are getting worse, what is going on? It, you're not alone. Um, it's certainly the studies are showing that that, um, that can be the case. All right, so let's now have a chat about this low FODMAP diet. Um, first of all, what, what even is a FODMAP? <laughs> um, FODMAP actually stands for, now get, get yourself ready for this because you, can, you will understand why we abbreviate it to FODMAP when I say this, but FODMAP stands for fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides and polyols. What the hell does that mean, Rachel? Is I'm sure that's what you're thinking. All right. So what it means is, um, so oligosaccharides, diasaccharides, monosaccharides, they're, they're, all, they're all carbohydrates, basically. And um, 
the word fermentable at the at the front of that um, means that they are broken down and sort of fermented in the gut by you know our gut bacteria and so on. And what um, so foods that contain um, you know high sort of levels of these fodmaps, these fermentable sort of carbohydrates. Um, uh, some of them are normally for, you know, for, for, for people without IBS, some of them are actually digested normally and broken down and don't cause any issues. So lactose is a perfect example. Lactose is actually a FODMAP. Um, and the issue with lactose is, um, the digestion and like, so breaking down that lactose. So if you don't have an enzyme that breaks down the lactose, it just ends up in your gut and causes you know, causes issues. Um, so for people without lactose intolerance, without that issue, they have the enzyme, they break it down perfectly well and don't have any problems. Now, not everyone with IBS will be lactose intolerant. That's one of the things that may be causing um, your issues, but it might not be. The other FODMAPs are parts of carbohydrates that our body doesn't digest. So we don't have the enzymes to break these carbohydrates down. They generally do just pass through our GI tract without being digested. And for most people, it doesn't cause any issues. It gets to the bowel and we excrete it and it's and it's all done. But for people with IBS, it does cause a problem once it gets into the bowel. Um, so, um, so these, these are, these are carbohydrates that we're not meant to digest anyway, but for some people, they tend to cause all these symptoms once they get into the gut. So that's what a FODMAP is. And they're found in lots of different foods, um, particularly a lot of different fruits and vegetables, um, lactose, like I said, in milk products. Um, some are also found in um, wheat products. So it's not gluten. It's a little bit different to gluten. Um, it's not a gluten intolerance, but it's an intolerance to um, a FODMAP, a fermentable um, carbohydrate within sort of wheat-based products that for some people with IBS might have an issue with. So what, what we tend to do is if we think that maybe you will benefit from trialing a low FODMAP diet and, you know, particularly if you're having a lot of sort of bloating um, and abdo pain and that sort of thing, um, but you know, certainly all those, the other um, bowel symptoms as well. Um, if, if we think that a low FODMAP diet might be useful, um, it is a good place to start to, to see whether um, it, it has, has an effect and helps you. Uh, and we normally would say to trial a low FODMAP diet, which means um, reducing or avoiding. Now, we, it's not, it's not, strict where it has to be absolutely zero, but reducing to a very minimal amount those foods that are high in FODMAPs and doing that for about six to eight weeks. Um, so sometimes people's symptoms take a while to settle and actually come down. So we do like to, to do it for a certain length of time. Um, and then once we get to that sort of six to eight weeks, if you have found a significant difference in your, and normally we get you to keep a bit of a diary of your symptoms so we can see that they're changing. But if you find a significant difference, then it's likely that you 
um, your IBS is being triggered by one or more different FODMAPs. Now, of course, there are some people who will do the trial for six to eight weeks and find no difference. And that could be due to a number of things. It might be that there are other things that are also kind of contributing to um, the IBS symptoms, or it might just mean that FODMAPs are not the issue for you. Maybe there are some other things that need to be looked into in terms of um, possible treatment. So, but for, for a lot of people, they will find that once they've done that trial, they'll find that they are better. I'm not saying the symptoms totally go away, but you feel significantly better. And then the next step is to work out which FODMAPs, so there are different groups of FODMAPs, which ones are likely to be your triggers. Now, it might just be one, it might be a few. It's not always all of them. Um, And this is really an important point. Um, I do come across people who have tried the low FODMAP diet and thought, wonderful, it's worked, it's great, and then they just stay on that. I'm really all for not restricting any foods unless you really have to. So why there's no need to restrict all of the FODMAP foods, the high FODMAP foods, because in most cases, it's not all of them that are causing the issue. So the next step is really important, and that is to reintroduce them. And I really, really suggest that you get some um, help from a dietitian to do this because there's generally a process that you go through in order to work out um, which FODMAPs are causing that issue. Um, And we usually start with a particular type, um, reintroduce it. You have to have a certain amount to actually see if it causes that trigger again and your symptoms come back. And then um, if they do come back, then you need a period of time to um, take those foods back out of your diet and get back to no no symptoms or at least like lower symptoms to where you were before, before you introduce the next one. Um, what you might do is you find that you reintroduce um, one, um, one group of FODMAPs and find that your symptoms don't come back, which is wonderful because that means, okay, that group of FODMAPs are okay. You're not, they're not triggering your symptoms. You can continue to eat those. Um, The other thing is there are certain foods that kind of come under several different groups of FODMAPs, so it can get a little bit complicated, um, which is why I really say go and see a dietitian and get some advice and and get a dietitian to help you work through that reintroduction and figuring out which other FODMAPs that are your issue. So once you've done that and you're like, okay, now I know these are the groups of FODMAPs that cause my problems. They're the ones I need to be more careful of. All of the others I can go ahead and eat because they are not in, they are not influencing my symptoms. And so then you're only really restricting the foods that are causing your issue. You're not kind of unnecessarily um, restricting foods. The other thing is many people have a tolerance level. So um, it may not mean that you have none of those foods. It might mean that you just need to be careful of how much you have in a day. So um, for example, uh, you know, um, broccoli. Broccoli could be a trigger food. It could be part of the FODMAPs that, um, the group of FODMAPs that you have, 
that, that you find are having a, an issue. And, you know, a little bit of broccoli with your evening meal, provided you haven't overdone other FODMAPs in that same group, could be perfectly fine. So it's not it's not like celiac disease where you can't have any gluten whatsoever. Um, uh, with IBS and with FODMAPs, it's about reducing it to a point where your symptoms are okay. And that tolerance level can be different for different people. For some people, the smallest amount of garlic will set them off. Whereas for others, a little bit might be okay, but overdoing it could cause them issues. So that's why I say get a dietitian to help you out because it can be really confusing. And if they are, um, you know, have done some uh, training and got some really good um, knowledge about IBS and FODMAPs, um, you know, they will be able to help you work through that. And then you come out with it saying, okay, now I know, I know what my limits are. I know what foods I need to sort of be kept more careful of. And then hopefully um, that will mean that you can have a better quality of life with less of those horrible IBS symptoms. Um so and and you know in the end I look I know people who have um, IBS and um, you know have issues with FODMAPs and uh, sometimes they just say you know what I don't care I'm out for dinner I'm just going to eat this I know I'm probably going to suffer after but it'll be worth it <laughs> and it's not going to do any damage to your body um, you know so you can make that choice if you want to but probably know that maybe the next day or later that day, you you know, your symptoms might start to increase. But, um, you know, it, it really depends. Some people are just like, no way, never want to go there again. I really want to try to, you know, keep my FODMAPs, um, the ones that, that I'm intolerant to, low. But for other people, I know that sometimes they just go, ah, I don't care. I'm just going to have this because it tastes really good and I know it'll be worth it and I'll just you know worry about the symptoms later Um, not going to do any harm like I said but just you know you need to prepare yourself for it so that's sort of in a nutshell I don't want to go into too much detail because like I said everyone is so different and it's very individual and it's something that um, I believe you should sort of you should do one-on-one with a dietitian and, and work through. I'm really just giving you the background and and an, and an understanding of, you know, um, what it might look like if you were trialling a low FODMAP diet to help with your IBS symptoms. Um, so, of course, like I said, some people, um, you know, they try the low FODMAP diet and it doesn't necessarily work for them. So some people's symptoms may be exactly the same. Um, which is highly likely that the FODMAPs are not an issue for them and there may be other things um, that are triggering their IBS symptoms. And there are certainly other dietary components that can uh, influence um, IBS symptoms. For example, caffeine could be an issue for some people. Um, So caffeine being sort of that stimulant might uh, uh, stimulate the bowel or overstimulate the bowel um, and sort of lead to, um, you know, increase in sort of diarrhea, for example, um, or, or pain even. So, you know, th- there certainly are other things, individual things that people might find are triggers that are worth looking at um, as well. 
And you might sort of have noticed that. You might sort of go, ooh, I, I have noticed that, you know, if I have a coffee or a strong coffee, my symptoms tend to tend to increase. And this is all really useful information to sort of to come to your dietitian with and, and have a chat um, about the things that you're noticing because there may be things um, other than FODMAPs that are causing that issue. Um, the other thing, and these are actually um, included in the FODMAP, which are polyols, and um, polyols um, can be found in uh, sugar-free products, so sorbitol and, and things like that that might be used in, say, sugar-free lollies. Um, so that might be an issue. Um you know, uh, I've certainly come across people who have said, oh, my goodness, I've just had this, you know, um, horrible, um, horrible bowel symptoms. Um, and, it, you know, we work out that actually they sat down and ate quite a few sugar-free lollies that had sorbitol in it. And if you read the packet, they all will say may have a laxative effect um, or excess consumption can have a laxative effect. So um, that's another thing to think about. They certainly are part of the the, the FODMAPs, but sometimes people don't think about those things. Um, they're more thinking about the actual foods. Um, and the, the other thing is for some people, it might be more of a food chemical tolerance. So I'm not talking about um, chemicals in the way that people think in food, but all foods contain chemicals like natural chemicals and like they're just naturally found in foods. And for some people, they might actually have um, an intolerance to some of those. So that could be another avenue. I'm not going to go into detail about that today, but that could be another avenue that a dietitian could help you with. Um, then, of course, it's important to think about what other things might be affecting your IBS symptoms. So maybe you try the low FODMAP diet and you do get some improvement, but maybe it's not quite significant. Uh, or maybe sometimes it's fine, but other times your symptoms are coming back, even though you're still on the low FODMAP diet. And, you know, maybe that could be psychological factors. So um, an increase in stress or anxiety. Um, we often see that people with irritable bowel also have anxiety. Um, so there's, you know, there, there can be a link there. And that's got to do with that gut brain, uh, the brain gut gut brain axes as I mentioned earlier that what we're thinking and and how what our brain is doing will certainly affect what's happening in our gut so if you have a lot of anxiety and that's an issue for you or um, stress um, so if if you've got a lot of stress going on um, or you're constantly stressed um, that can affect your IBS symptoms as well. So it's really important that we think about the psychological factors as well because you may be getting some benefit from, say, a low FODMAP diet, but if you are still got a lot of stress and anxiety, you know, that's not necessarily going to, you know, your, your symptoms may not become um, as controlled as you would like. And so, therefore, it's a really good idea that you, um, you know, seek some help, particularly if, it's uh, an ongoing thing or something that, that is happening quite regularly um, and working out, you know, with uh, your doctor or a health professional um, about how to manage that anxiety and stress. Um, and 
you know, if it's just happens sometimes, so if you have a bit of an anxiety sometimes or have a, a stressful few days, um, you know, learning some of those uh, relaxation techniques, mindfulness, um, meditation, if that works for you, um, to help to sort of, you know, relieve that stress and anxiety. Um, and that might then you might find that it actually helps your IBS symptoms. But if it's chronic and it's ongoing and you're finding it difficult to manage, that's when you really should seek some help. Um, so we really shouldn't um, forget that the psychological um, effect on our IBS symptoms um, can be a factor and we, we need to sort of focus on that as well if that's an issue. Um, and and I guess for, for some people it could be as simple as just um, maybe increasing some fiber in their diet, maybe not um, some of those really high FODMAP fiber, fibers, but just gradually increasing fiber for some people might be enough and that might be all that they need to manage their, um, their IBS symptoms. But um, as we know, for some people, particularly if they're those high, high FODMAP foods, um, some of those high fiber foods could actually cause more of an issue rather than improve it. So, um, you know, it, in the end, in summary, it is it is a little bit complex. It is um, individual because what works for one person is not going to work for another. So if you hear of someone with IBS and they say, oh, I just don't have this, that or the other, or I do this and that's what works, that doesn't mean that's going to work for you. Um, it really is very individual and um, that's why I really recommend seeing a health professional, seeing a dietitian and working through your individual issues um, and figuring out what's going to help um, you because it's not going to be the same as, you know, your neighbor who who has I, IBS. So hopefully that um, has been useful. Um, so if you do have IBS, I hope that um, that information has been helpful for you and you may want to seek out some further assistance. Um, you know, there may be others out there who uh, sort of know all of this and um, have already been and worked out what their triggers are. And that's wonderful. But, um, you know, just just know that once we get to menopause, that your symptoms may become worse because of, um, like I said, those changing hormones um, that that is quite common. So you're not alone there. Um, one thing I will say, though, is if you notice a significant change in your bowels, um, in your bowel actions or symptoms, bloating and so on, um, even if you've had IBS for a long time, if you notice a change, a significant change, once you you know hit menopause, don't just assume it's, oh, it must be just my hormones. Go and just ch get checked out by your doctor to make sure that there isn't anything else going on because bloating, changes in bowel habits and so on can be due to other things. And even if you've had IBS for a large part of your life, any kind of changes really should be checked out and you don't shouldn't assume that it's just your IBS. Um, it could be and that, that could be all it is. Um, but, you know, we don't want to make that assumption and then, you know, find out that that it was something else that you didn't get checked out. So any changes, bloating, changes in your bowels, I always say go and get checked out by your doctor and make sure there's nothing else going on. Um, but other than that, I hope that was helpful and um, please reach out if you have any questions um, and um, any suggestions for anything else you'd like to know about. 
and uh, I hope that you all have um, a wonderful rest of your day or night or wherever you're, whatever time you're listening to this. And um, thank you so much for listening.